So I would love to introduce to you our greatest friends, Scott and Stephanie. We have a long history together that goes back 20 plus years now, 22 years, is it? Wow, yeah. So we were in Toronto together. Uh, they were our small group leaders when Jane and I both did the leaders school. And uh, there's all kinds of stories around that. <laughs> but uh, they came down to Somerville uh, to plant New Day Church uh, while we were already here in Conway. But we were able to be uh, involved in that in prayer and, and support. And, uh, and then uh, now uh, Scott is on our board uh, and Stephanie's one of our prophets. <laughs> she doesn't do boards, but we'll take the prophetic words. It's fine. And uh, we've been so blessed to have a, a strong family relationship with these two and uh, they've driven all the way up from Somerville this morning because uh, they have teenagers so you know they couldn't come sooner we wish they could but <laughs> we understand and so uh, I want you to give a warm welcome to Scott and Stephanie Jones come on up and share with us guys yeah well guys it's really good to be here and to see all your faces everyone just smile for a second let's just all smile look around just look around at each other for a minute here um but yeah we've been uh married now we met at the school so the time we were meeting mark and jane up in toronto we also met each other and um got married soon after that and have four amazing children who are all you know really close together in age and they're all teenagers living at home and it's like it's almost like when they're babies, they have a lot of needs, and then they get a little bit older, and they become a little more independent, and then they become teenagers, and you feel like now they have needs all over again that they didn't have before. So, um, But we're loving pastoring our church in Somerville. Um, it's going really well. These guys have been down a whole bunch of times, which and maybe some of you guys have too. But it's just great to be up here. It's so good to see you guys. And... Um, see you face to face and see what God is doing up here. Yeah. And we're going <clears> to, <throat> at the end, we'd love to um, pray for you guys and uh, prophesy over you guys, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> but <we'll laughs> If the pastors allow that. Sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> but we do have a message for you today that we're going to bring and we're going to tag team. I think I'm first, right? Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I do want to say that during the worship time, I just had this impression of God really wanting to bring a season of refreshing to this fellowship here. And, um, you know, we haven't talked for a while, so we don't know where you guys are at in the journey. And you don't know where we're at in the journey. But we, you know, we face times as churches and also as nations, as communities where you maybe feel that somewhere inside there's a dryness there. You know, um, in the heat of the day, we can things can get pretty parched. And I just had the sense this morning that God really wants to pour out, not just right now, refreshing, but a season of refreshing, times of refreshing to this church. And by the way, that's not a comment on how well any of us are doing, because we would like times of refreshing too. I need times of refreshing about five times a week these days. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty thirsty and desperate most of the time. And so um, I just want to begin today by just praying a release of that. So just put your hand on your heart. And I, I just, as I said that, I just saw, um, you know, in, in the 
book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has that incredible vision of the wheels with all the eyes and all that odd stuff. But the point being, God sees you. He sees you always, all of the time, all the way around, inside and out. That's really what that vision means. And he sees the little dry places in you right now. And I want to pray today that you would be found by God in all of your dry places. And that the refreshing of God would come to you today and tomorrow and in the days to come and in this church in a fresh way. Um, because God is coming to lift some, lift some heavy burdens off. Um, God is wanting to lift off even. Sometimes we find ourselves somewhere in our own life taking on armor that doesn't quite fit us. And God is coming to lift off you guys any any heavy burdens in your own lives that the armor of da you know David only wore he went out with his stones not with the armor of Saul. And I bless each one of you to just find that God is leading you to the waters in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what we'd like to talk about today is uh the renewed mind, what it is to live in the power of a renewed mind. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to read, if it's okay with you guys, I'm going to read the scriptures off the thing here. But if someone could do me a favor, if someone could set this ladder up right here for me, that would be very helpful. So I'm going to read two scriptures from you that are quite well known um, about the mind, about how the mind plays into our walk as Christians. So two scriptures to start is Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the world, to this world, <coughs> but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Next scripture. We, and Paul goes on now to the uh, Corinthian church and he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Now, we know these scriptures, right? And, um, but how, how does this, how is this working out for you in real life? Let's say in the last seven days, or, you know, it's the run up to the holidays now. And suddenly you find out, for example, your family are planning things in a way that doesn't suit you. And thoughts start going through your head, like, why does nobody prioritize me? Or why are they doing it this way? Or do these people really want me there? Or do they, would they even care if I didn't show up? And maybe I'll just stay home. How many of you have thoughts like that sometimes? And so what does it mean to live with a renewed mind and take thoughts captive when we start feeling that way? And I really think that's where the rubber hits the road with the Christian life. And so what we want to talk about a little bit today, first of all, is to give you a little lesson about what it looks like on the inside of your head. Because what I want to show you today is that God knows how your brain works, this organ in your head. And when God writes... Um, instruction to us through the apostles with regards to controlling our mind and taking thoughts captive, he's speaking to something that's actually happening physiologically inside of your brain. And this is incredibly helpful for us to understand what's going on. Now, first of all, I'm going to show you a little diagram. Next slide. Um, and this was 
devised by a, a really smart neuroscientist, Dr. Dan Siegel, and he produced this for children to kind of help children understand how their brain works. Now, <clears throat> can I have a supple volunteer who will not sue the church if they fall off this ladder? How about the young man who was doing worship? Do you feel up to it? Literally up to it? <laughs> yeah, if you would just climb up this ladder and stand, sit right up here. Yep, yep, I want you to just sit on there and just relax because you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> okay. Yes, exactly, then you can enjoy that. So <clears throat> what I want to show you today is that this is an easy way of understanding it, that all of us have an upstairs brain and a downstairs brain. Now, your upstairs brain is where all your good thinking happens, your executive thinking, reasoning, empathy, wisdom, all of that's happening in your upstairs brain. But we also have <clears throat> a downstairs brain. And the downstairs brain is where all of your kind of gut survival stuff happens and the limbic system is here that's where all your emotions happen now if i can borrow two volunteers can i have you to you come stand here and then if i could have where's that other young guy that was here oh he's on there could i have you there with the plaid shirt and you come stand here uh, yeah <laughs> there you go let's have the next slide so what we're going to look at, again, upstairs, downstairs, downstairs brain, next slide. Next slide. We're going to look at three parts of your brain. You stand here and you stand here. So upstairs brain is where all your good thinking happens, right? Downstairs brain, we're going to look at um, three parts of your brain today. So the prefrontal cortex is upstairs. Then downstairs, you have your, you can be the amygdala and you can be the hippocampus. Okay, and what we're going to look at is that the hippocampus is your brain's librarian. So this is the part of your brain that has all your kind of autobiographical memory, like who you are, your self-esteem, what makes up your life, where do you come from, and where are you going? Now, the amygdala deals with fight, flight, freeze. It's the stress center in your brain. And so I like to think of this part as the security guard in your brain. Next slide. So we have, let's refresh our memory here. We have our executive thinking up there. And then downstairs, we have our hippocampus. This is Greek for seahorse, because if you were to take your hippocampus out, that's what it looks like. And this guy is your brain's, uh, brain's librarian. So again, next slide dealing with all your memories. And this guy is your amygdala, fight, flight, freeze. Amygdala comes from the Greek for almond. <clears throat> that is how small it is. And it makes a big fuss. And this is your brain's security guard. Next slide. Okay. So let me tell you a story about how this works out in real life. Okay, so let's imagine that Mark is Come up here. Let's imagine that Mark gets a phone call. This is how this works in real life. Mark gets a phone call, and somebody has invited you to a birthday party. And Mark thinks, oh, that's exactly what he does. But suddenly, as he gets this invitation, he suddenly feels a little bit hesitant. And this is what actually happens inside of your brain. When something like that happens, let's imagine that 
This is inside Mark's brain. Suddenly, the hippocampus goes, huh, birthday party. Hmm, I have a whole system of memories about birthday parties. I have the story about when you were five and you went to a birthday party and everyone laughed at you because of what you were wearing. I also have the story about you going to birthday parties and feeling really rejected and a crowd and unseen and ignored. Hmm. I also have the story about how you feel really freaked out by food that other people touch and have made and you feel uneasy and it always gives you a sore tummy. So which one of these stories would you like? Now as this is happening, and, um, and now this is happening mostly on a subconscious level, this guy here, your amygdala sticks his head over and says, oh, which, which story did you pick? And this guy says, like, well, I think we're going to go with the story of no one likes me and everyone ignores me when I'm in a crowd because this, this book actually never gets put away. In fact, Mark uses this story so much that Mr. Librarian here never even puts the book away. It just stays on the table. This is the best read book in Mark's, the bestseller in Mark's brain. So the amygdala says, now, which story did you use? Oh, you used the one where when you were a kid, you went to the birthday party and everyone started ignoring you. I really want you to feel the part. In fact, it's my job to help you feel exactly like you did when you were five. So I'm going to give you a little shot of cortisol. Put your hands around his chest. Like, it's going to feel a little tight. Feel that? Yeah, I want you to feel the part. I may even add in a little neck squeeze, a little bit of cortisol just to kind of tighten up, up in here, get that central nervous system all jacked up. <clears throat> and before Mark knows it, in real life, he's on the phone and he's suddenly making an excuse about why he can't go to this birthday party. And he doesn't even really know why. He just knows he doesn't want to go. That is how your brain works. Now, if this guy gets really excited and starts giving you enough cortisol, the guy on top, can you put this on your head? If, if the amygdala gets control, like yeah, if your brain security guide gives you enough cortisol, your, your prefrontal cortex, the, the, pit, the bit you really want, goes offline. That's like when you're on the internet on your phone and suddenly you lose connection. That's what the term flipping your lid means. Your good thinking actually switches off for a minute. And all the parts of your brain that you need, you see what this guy would say is, well, Mark, you know, you have gone to like 600 birthday parties in your life and you survived most of them, so it can't be that bad. And do you know what else this part of your brain might say? This part of your brain would host wisdom so it might say something like, Mark, why does this have to all be about you? Why can't you think about someone else? It, it's your chance to celebrate someone else. Why is this all about you? Like these are the good parts of our brain that we want. But when we get, start getting triggered with that fight, flight, freeze mechanism, and Mr. Security Guard here who's to keep you safe and alive is in cahoots with Mr. Hippocampus, who's got all your stories, suddenly Mark is living the kind of life where he's not actually in charge of himself. He's not renewing his mind, and he's not taking thoughts captive. There you go. Okay, Mark, you can sit down. If you guys can stay there a little bit longer. 
Okay, so let me tell you my story. <clears throat> oh, next one, two characters. So this is me when I was um, five years old. And um, I was having a problem at school, and it wasn't just because that's what I looked like when I went to school. <laughs> this is the classic English school uniform. So here's a story of how something worked out in my life. But I'm going to start the story with, are you asking a question? Yeah. No, go for it. Well, narcissism is complex because it's like a constellation of different things. If, if it, well, let me tell this story. It might answer the question, but that's a great question. <clears throat> so I'm going to start this story not here, but when I was 22 years old, and I went to the School of Ministry in Toronto. And then um, Scott and I both ended up being asked to stay on staff at the school, which is kind of how we really began to know Mark and Jane. And so here I am, 22, 23 years old. I've got this great job. I'm at school, uh, on staff at this, you know, amazing school of ministry that's known all over the world. And I have these amazing bosses called Stuart and Lindley Allen, who are amazing people. But I started feeling really jumpy around them. Now, jumpy, kind of on edge, you know that this guy's involved. Because this guy's job is to keep you alive. And this guy has the power to signal to your central nervous system, we need cortisol. We need adrenaline. And when you've got those things in your system, it makes you jumpy. It makes you on edge. And I would feel that way around Stuart and Lindley. And I started to really get the feeling <clears throat> that they didn't like me. And I started to notice how they related to other staff members. And I would think, they just seem to be nicer to other people than me. They seem to smile and laugh more with other people, but they, they seem to not like me. How many of you have had these kinds of thoughts in your head? You see, if I hadn't done what I'm about to describe that I did next, if I hadn't done what I did next, that may have been the end of my story. My story for being on staff at the school of ministry might have been, yeah, I was on staff at this great school, but the directors were a bit weird. They were definitely cold towards me. It wasn't a good experience. Closed book goes into my file. It was their fault. And some of us do that. Some of you have probably, in a room this big, some of you have probably left churches because of that. But here's the sad thing. That story wasn't true. That wasn't the true story. And so what I did then at that age was I said to the Lord, I don't like how I'm acting around Stuart and Lindley. Because I was jumpy around them, I actually started to act like a bit of a moron which probably did mean that they were looking at me like I was weird because I was being weird and now we've got a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? And so <coughs> I asked the Lord, why am I so jumpy around them? And God said, I'll show you why. And I remembered this. I remembered my story from being this age. And this is the story. I was uh, standing outside the school. It was this little Victorian schoolhouse where I was a little private schoolgirl. And we were all lined up very quietly, standing up straight, ready to go back in. And the teacher there, Mrs. Hancock, I always had the feeling she didn't like me. And this one day, 
she leans over to her daughter who was also at the school that day and she pointed over at me. <clears throat> I was probably about as far away as you are in the nice pink scarf and she said, see her over there, she's the naughty one. And she pointed at me. I felt like I had been shot in the heart with an arrow. I was like, <gasps> I was so ashamed and humiliated. I wanted to cry. It was this horrible, horrible memory. And the Lord said to me, the reason that you're jumpy around Stuart and Lindley is because you've come into a school and here are authority figures and something about them reminds you of her. And your little hippocampus is saying, oh, we have the story on this. We have the story. The story is you get singled out. The story is people don't like you. The story is you are the naughty one. The story is you are about to get humiliated. And my my amygdala here is like, help, help you feel the part. I'm going to help you feel the part. And I'm like, <gasps> every time I see them. And here's the amazing thing that God does. Next slide. This is what God does. Psalm 139. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before there was one of them. And here's the amazing thing. God is saying, I have a book. I have a story about you. Would you like to see the story that I have? And God said to me in that moment, if you had been able to see in that moment when you were five years old, if you'd been able to see what was happening around you, you would have seen that I was there, and I was saying, oh no, she's the good one. I was whispering to the angels, and I was pointing at you, and I was saying, she's my good one. She's the good one. And here's the amazing thing about your brain, about the actual way that your brain works, is we have what's called neuroplasticity. That means that your mind can change right up until the day you die. And the gift of neuroplasticity is that your hippocampus has the ability to get rid of stories. I reject the story that I am the naughty one and I am going to be singled out by authorities. And my new story is I'm the good one. And I'll tell you this, that was, what, 22 years ago? If I had lived out the last 22 years of my life with a massive chip on my shoulder around authorities and always, you see, it, Paul, um, no, the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that you let no bitter roots spring up inside of you. And then it says, for by it many are defiled. When you have a story that isn't true, it actually ruins the way you see and experience other people. And the amazing thing is your brain can let go of the false story and take on a new story. Isaiah 55 verse 8, God says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And as sheep of the good shepherd, we get to hear his thoughts. He wants to fill our mind with his thoughts. And the neuroscience says this is absolutely possible. Isn't this good news? Okay, thank you guys. You can all get down. Thank you so much, all of you. Give them a clap. Okay. 
And what we see is that this has kind of been God's idea from the beginning. Next slide. This is what God does. He changes our minds and he even changes people's names. Abraham became Abraham because God was changing his story. The guy who had a barren wife, God came to him and said, I'm changing your name and the name I'm giving you means father of many. We see that Jacob becomes Israel. You know, Jacob was a tricky little fellow who contended and deceived his brother and was fighting for his own way in life. And God changes his name to Israel. And Israel means God contends for you. And God's saying, you thought you had to fight for yourself. Oh, no, that's not your story. Your story is that I fight for you. And we just see this through all of Scripture. God also flips the script. Next slide. We see that Moses thinks he's a shepherd, but God says he's a deliverer. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I'm really interested in in the whole topic of trauma. And a couple of years ago, Scott and I did some classes at the National Trauma Institute. And... um, Really, what we're just acting out here is it's your hippocampus and your amygdala that are really the hosts for trauma in your brain. That's how trauma works. It's these parts of your downstairs brain sharing information with each other. And you think about Moses, how he was, you know, out in the wilderness, really avoiding God's call on his life. And God finds him, but God brings him to that place of ultimate deliverance, which ends up being the Red Sea. And I thought about this some years ago, that for Moses, the place of his childhood trauma was the place of the waters. Do you know that in your hippocampus, there's the things that you know you remember, and that's called explicit memory. I know I remember this. But there's also a bunch of stuff on file called an implicit memory, which is the things that you don't remember. You have no memory of at all, but your hippocampus has it in the same bookshelf. You just don't know about it. It seems so unfair, doesn't it? There's things that you don't even remember that inform your sense of being frightened or jumpy or anything like that. And I sometimes think of Moses coming to the Red Sea And I wonder if it got into his childhood feelings of being put in a basket and sent off on the waters. And we know he was crying because it says that, that the princess heard him crying and she had compassion on him. Moses had to come to the place of his own trauma to come into the place of his destiny. And that is true for all of us. We have to face the things that haunt us. Ruth thinks that she's headed towards days of peril and starvation, but God is bringing her into the place of her providence. God is always flipping the script. Next slide. So in the therapeutic realm, so in this realm, where they're studying all this stuff with the neuroscientists, they say that (coughs) the way to renew your mind, now this is the therapeutic realm, is to identify a thought. Okay, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking authority figures don't like me. I'm thinking when I go to a birthday party, I always get rejected and no one sees me in a crowd. So you have to name it to tame it. That's what they say. You have to identify it. And then you have to stop the thought. You have to say, I see you thought, and no, I'm not listening to you anymore. 
is an interesting little technique for that called cognitive dissonance, where instead of saying, oh, people always reject me at a birthday party, they have you say, I'm having the thought that people always reject me at a birthday party. You have to learn to separate yourself from it. I'm having that thought, but that's not me. You have to stop it. You have to grab it. And then the next step, and again, this is in the therapeutic realm, is to replace that thought. And the amazing thing is these are the exact steps that are given to us in the Bible. God knows how your brain works. This is good news, people. First one, identify. I think this is Proverbs. Carefully guard your thoughts because they are the source of true life. You have to be cognizant of what's going through your mind. And have you ever had it that you've just been driving along or you've been in your house and suddenly an emotion sweeps over you, like maybe you feel sad or you suddenly feel angry or you suddenly feel discouraged, but you're not quite sure why? Listen, here's a good practice. Next time that happens to you, or even if you suddenly feel happy, I want you to stop and say, what was I just telling myself? Because sometimes this stuff in the downstairs brain is so subtle in terms of our experience, we don't even know it's happening. But we have to learn to carefully guard our thoughts. We have to learn to be aware of what we're thinking. The next step is to stop. And we looked at this at the beginning. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So in my life, the thought I was having is that these authority figures are going to single me out and humiliate me. Well, guess what? That is a pretension that's setting itself up against the knowledge of God in my life because that is not the plan that God had for me. And I had to identify that thought and I had to stop it and demolish it. You know, if you are going to <coughs> take a thought captive, you're going to have to kind of put your welly into it. You're going to have to find some animus to grab a hold of that thing. Years ago, we, I was in Mallorca on holiday with my dad and his wife and my brothers. And we're all sitting having dinner by the harbor. And um, suddenly, this man comes running along. It was so quick, we barely saw it. And he reached over onto the table and he grabbed a purse that belonged to um, another couple that were with us, the lady of the, of the pair. He grabbed her thing and he carried on running. So this thief just snatched her purse. Now it just so happened her husband was sitting this side of the table and the purse got snatched. And he just happens to be this really buff, thick guy. And he, I've never seen anything like this except in a movie. He leapt up onto the table, jumped off the table like a cat. And he ran after this guy. And I'm telling you, he got him. He grabbed him. He grabbed the purse. I mean, this guy was like scrambling away and just took off like a little kitten or something. And he came walking back over and he goes, yeah, darling, to his wife. And she's like, oh, you know, it was this great moment. We're all like, oh, oh. I remember <coughs> being so impressed by that show of valor. And we need to find that kind of animus. We need to kind of find that kind of fight. Like, no, I, I can't give in to this thought anymore. It's stealing from me. I need to take this captive. 
And then the last thing is to replace our thoughts. And I quoted this already from Isaiah 55, verse 8. And this is, to me, this is just Christianity. This is just the nuts and bolts, isn't it? Like, okay, God, I'm thinking this thing. I've identified it. <clears throat> I'm stopping it. Lord, what are you saying to me instead? You're the good one. You're the good one. Okay, I'm the good one. That's going to help settle me down. And this is really the journey that God has for us. And I want to make one more point, and then Scott will um, jump up here. But the thought here is shake it off. And it's interesting. In the neuroscience realm, they're finding out this little thing as they're doing neural feedback, which is when you monitor the brain and look for where the electrical impulses are. And they found out that <coughs> one of the ways to interrupt the activity between the amygdala and the hippocampus, between the librarian and the security guard, is to have people shake. And they do, th this is really, really true. It's called somatic therapy. And they have people lay on the floor or stand up and they just shake like this. It looks like manifestations. <laughs> Psalm 29, I think it is. Do I have this? The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. And the desert or the wilderness of Kadesh, as it says in the New King James Version, is the place of trauma for the children of Israel. And it says God shakes that wilderness. And I began to realize that all these years I've seen people get touched by the Holy Spirit or I've been touched by the Holy Spirit and I've shook. Or you think of all through the moves of God through all of time, the Quakers were called the Quakers because they were quaking. Is God actually dealing with trauma? Is God shaking you because it's part of how he renews your mind? Listen, next time God moves on you in that way, just go with it. And what they say is, you know, if you're struggling with a, with a, vanquishing kind of thought, something that's really troubling you, and you can't seem to break three of it, go into your room and shake for 60 seconds. Just do that. Just shake. And somehow it disrupts those networks and helps you start again. That's the neuroscience. We've been doing this since Pentecost. <laughs> it's good news. It's just, to me, all of this stuff, you know, the reason I love this stuff is because it just absolutely proves the Bible for me. Paul was the original cognitive behavioral therapist. This is good news, guys. This is good news to us. There is a way of renewing our minds in real life and in real time. Scott Jones. So <clears throat> Let's just stand up and shake right now. Let's just shake some stuff off right now. Think about what's been getting you bound up and just shake. <laughs> kind of feels good. <laughs> All right, you can sit down. <laughs> I'm going to continue. What time do you guys normally wrap up? Out of, just whenever, 3 o'clock. Okay, perfect. So... If this, um, what Stephanie is describing here, I'm going to pull this ladder back out just as a visual for us. If this kind of, God wants to renew our mind, right? He wants to bring us into a place where actually all three of these characters, all three of these parts of our brain, they do have a healthy 
function. They all have a purpose. And so what we've been focusing on is when they're, it's just kind of like out of harmony. It's not working the right way and it's causing something negative to happen. But we know that God wants to renew our mind. He wants to bring us into something good. And so I was asking the question, if God has this amazing promised land for us, why is it sometimes so hard to enter into? Have you ever wondered that? Like, why is it so hard to enter into? And, um, and I asked the same thing about the children of Israel. Like, why was it so hard for them when they had amazing prophetic words, they had uh, this leader that was talking face-to-face with God. Why was it so hard for, for them to come out of slavery and into a land flowing with milk and honey, into vineyards they didn't plant and houses they didn't build? If what God had for them was so good, why was it so hard to come out of where they were? And, um, and I thought, well, it's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like someone coming to you and saying, I have something new for you. I've got, I've got new furniture for your house. Okay, so what you have to do is you just have to get rid of everything that you have now to make room for it first, right? So go ahead and just start clearing everything out, and it's coming, right? I think if someone came to you and said that, we'd all be a little bit hesitant. Like, well, I kind of like some of this furniture, and I'd, I would like to sit on something. Like, why don't you show me first? And there would be a, a real push-pull with that person. But God is saying, make room. You know, make room and start to get rid of things. And that Second uh, Corinthians 10 that Stephanie pulled up of taking thoughts captive, that's a big part of it, is getting rid of unhealthy thoughts and making actually making room for God to work. And I would say that for me and my life, I, I grew up like, you know, like where to begin? Like how do you tell the story? But by the time I was 20 years old and that was when I met Jesus, I just had become so good at hanging out with this librarian and going over every story, everything that had ever gone wrong. I just, it's like I spent all my time in that library reading all those books. I spent all my time with that security guard strategizing how I could prevent stuff from happening in the future. And I spent all my time catastrophizing the outcome of my life and figuring it out. Like we, you guys live kind of same place we do. What happens every autumn? It's like you're on, you know, the TV or on the internet looking at spaghetti charts of where is the hurricane going, right? That was me every day of my life looking at spaghetti charts. How is this going to turn out? How is my life going to go? How will this situation... If I go to the birthday party, if I, if I answer this invitation and go to the birthday party, what's it going to be like? Well, what if this person's here? And what if that's... Well, what if I do something great? What if I do something really embarrassing? You know what I'm saying? And I got saved when I was 20. 
God starts working on my heart. He start, starts softening the ground. Probably around the time I was 22, I just had this thought, and it was the Holy Spirit, and it was a question, do you really need to answer all of these thoughts and ideas and questions? Are any of them helping you at all? There was just so much of it, right? And I was like, it felt like a risk. It felt like this big risk. It's like, yeah, it kind of feels responsible to answer all these questions. It feels like I am being responsible and staying on top of things. But it, how is it working out so far? Not that good. So let's give it a try. And I, it was like this step of faith to stop answering every question that came into my head and to just, you know what? What if the world does fall apart? I don't know. Like, let's just let it fall apart and let's not answer that. But what it did is in, a, in the course of a weekend, because I think it was like on a Friday, my whole life changed because I was able to let go of something and never pick it up again. But it was making room. It's like, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know the right way to do thinking. I don't know the, the right way to be a godly person in this area. I just know what I have in my past. But starting to make room, God begins to fill it. But I think that's one reason why transformation is hard is because we got to let go of some things, yeah. things that bring us comfort, companionship. We like the librarian. <laughs> Librarian's so nice. We like that security guard, you know. And um, we got to let go of it. Sometimes transformation feels like weakness. Um, when I was in first grade, I uh, won this award for writing a short story. And even then, at six years old, I was completely blown away that I'd won an award because I was just always daydreaming in school. I was always looking out the window. I love that you guys have windows here because I was like something to look out of and like, what's going on out there? I just, I'm, I'm a daydreamer. And so when I was six years old, never focusing, I would take my pencil and if it was really sharp, like the front of it kind of looks like a spaceship and I would like close one eye and like hold it up against the sky and like be imagining. And so not really doing my work, the teacher sees that I'm daydreaming and she eventually says, you're not doing the assignment. We're supposed to, you're supposed to write a story. So Mrs. Washington was her name and she brings me to the front and sits me on her lap and has me tell her what I want the story to say. And she writes it down. And yeah, she was just super nurturing, just gets in right in there close. She writes it down and she hands it back to me and says, now go copy it out in your blank book and draw the pictures. And I won an award, which felt amazing. But that's also a little bit what transformation is like, that he wants us to come into a place where we just so trust him, right? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
And I think often this is the stuff we want to get away from. And we think really being transformed, then this, this won't come around you anymore. I won't have insults. I won't have these injuries. And yet it's coming into a place of weakness where we're not afraid to go through that stuff anymore. We often think that transformation is going to turn us into a superhero that like bullets bounce off of us. And, you know, now I'm transformed. It's like, no, it's, it's more like that thing of unless you come as a child, you know, how are you going to enter into the kingdom of God? And, um, but all these things, letting go of the stuff we know, walking and learning to walk in weakness, learning to come to him, it can be uncomfortable. It can feel painful. But I'm telling you, if you have ever got stuck in this scenario for a long period, like what we're, Stephanie has demonstrated at the beginning, like this is a painful way to live life. Have you ever been stuck here? Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about how do we get unstuck? How do we get unstuck from this? Because it feels painful. And um, pain can be a powerful motivator. Um, we don't always realize that we're in pain because it just gets disguised as, I'm just feeling a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I just feel like I need to get some space. And it's like, why do I need to get space? Because this thing triggers me. This thing makes me feel threatened. And I feel like I'm going to get rejected again. And rejection is painful, right? We, we don't always get to the bottom of it. So sometimes we're just like, I just feel like I need some space. It's like, yeah, because you're in pain, that's why you need space. And, um, but that pain, the emotional pain that we experience is powerful and it has a real impact on us. When I was, um, 14 years old, I was in a car accident. My brother was driving, he was goofing around and it was icy roads. And so we went over a cliff and landed, the car landed upside down in a swamp in the middle of winter. And I fractured some vertebrae. I actually took a photograph of it after we climbed out from up above. It's the picture of the bottom of a car surrounded in snow. Um, and I ended up home with a fractured vertebrae. Um, and there was this pain in my back. And I was just reflecting on it after days of sitting at home. I was not Christian. Um, but just sitting there, and I was like, this pain, this physical pain is so nonstop is so persistent and it's so annoying. Um, but the pain of just being bored and sitting here doing nothing is the same. It's like equal. And it was like, I could see side by side that the internal pain of my emotional state is equal to the pain in my physical body. Right. And a lot of times we minimize emotional pain, but the pain that we feel on the inside can be a big deal and it can guide us. That pain can guide us. Um, and we've got to be careful to not allow things like the fear of embarrassment, the fear of rejection, um, or the fear of man to guide us and direct us in life. Cause the Bible says that the fear of man will prove to be a snare 
And that's a lot of the things that trigger us over here. It's the fear of what other people are going to do to us. That fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment, the fear that somebody's trying to take something away from me. So it's like abandonment is not the snare, right? But it's the fear that it's going to happen is the snare. And we often think the fear that it's going to happen is the thing that will protect us. If I can just tune in to the perceiving the right threat and catch it before it happens, that will protect me. He's saying the hyper-awareness of what threats might come and living in the fear of them, that is, that is the thing that will catch you. Okay, that is the thing. And so that's a little snare. That's a big snare, right? Imagine getting caught in that. That's a number six uh, grizzly bear trap. They, they do come bigger than that, I found out as I was looking at this. But it goes on, and it says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And so living out of a place of trying to identify threats and protect ourselves and strategize, that in itself is going to catch you. Trying to live that way, but God is calling us to come out of that to trust in him and he doesn't want the pain in our life to be what spurs us on and that pain it's we're just so used to responding to it we're so used to making decisions out of that place and I'm going to talk in a second about how to break away from it but look at this I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This is how the Lord wants to lead us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to get his word inside of us and direct us from the inside out, right? I'm sorry? Fight, flight, or freeze. I would say that fight, yeah, fight, flight, or freeze are the things that will drive us if we're not careful, you know, or it's the outworking. If I'm afraid that, if I feel threatened that someone's going to come at me, I'm going to want to avoid that in some way possible, right? If I see a snake, I'm going to avoid the snake and go around it. If I see a person, who reminds me of someone that's hurt me in the past, I'm going to avoid them. I'm going to avoid them by fighting. I'm going to so dominate my interactions with them that they don't set the tone. I'm just going to take up all the space and talk real loud, and or I'm going to avoid them by running away. And I'm going to, you know, get around them, or I'm going to avoid them by freezing, which is where I just shut down, and whatever happens, happens, and I just can't wait for this moment to be over. All three of those are equally avoiding in the same way. I, I forgot to say this one thing. So your, your amygdala doesn't have all the memories. What your amygdala has is post-it notes. So the phone call comes in. Do you want to come to a birthday party? The amygdala will go, oh, I've got a post-it note on birthday parties. So your amygdala will open the door to the library 
where all of the files are. So that's how it works. Your amygdala is the security guard. Oh, there's a threat. I have a post-it note. Please go into your library and select the right story for procedural learning. How do we navigate this threat? Yeah, so uh, in this scripture, it just contrasts these two ways. He says, be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. And he's saying, don't be steered by external forces. This is all the same verse. He's saying, he, you know, let, let me, let, this is how I want you to be steered, by my counsel um, you know, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to counsel you, I'm going to instruct you. He wants us to be steered from the inside out as we believe and trust his words, not by the forces that are coming around us. And by the way, we're, Stephanie and I, we love therapy. We love, you know, the, the um, dealing with the stuff of the heart. But I'm telling you, there re does reach a point where you have to say, okay, now that I know what I feel, what do I think I should do? You know, feelings are a part of the recipe, but sometimes you've got to step out of it and say, okay, yeah, I feel triggered and overwhelmed. What do I think I should do next? I think I should take a minute and listen to what God is saying. I think I should go call Mark, my friend who's trustworthy, and run this by him and see what he thinks. I think I should talk to my wife. I think I should probably go to that birthday party because if I continue to say no to things that feel threatening, pretty soon I won't do anything anymore and I will only stay at home. And I'm telling you, there is a front line. There is a front line of battle in these things. And if you withdraw too much from an area, the things that used to feel safe, they will become the new front line of your battle. And the things that you backed away from you kind of have to fight, <clears throat> fight to get those back. I saw this with some of my family members that held on to bitterness. They held on to hurts of the past. They started to feel justified in withdrawing. <clears throat> First, they were withdrawing from, you know, their friends. Then they were, were withdrawing from their family. Then they were withdrawing from their closest people. And then it was like there were just two of them left, husband and wife. They started to then withdraw from one another. Then they started to hate one another. And they both died very lonely. It was sad. But whatever, you got to be careful. You back away to protect yourself. And sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes we need space. But you get what I'm saying, don't you? So how do we get out of this when it does feel painful and threatening? Well, here is my top tip. You have to learn to tolerate the pain enough that you can listen to the voice of what God is saying. You have to come to a place where you say, I don't care how painful this is. I'm going to do what Jesus says, right? And I'm, and, and I'm not going to panic because often when we get into this place, we panic and we, it's like do whatever it takes to make that feeling stop. Whether it's say no to the invitation to go to the birthday, whether it's 
say yes and don't show up, whether it's go home and pour a glass of wine and watch Netflix for the next 12 hours, like what, do whatever it takes to make the discomfort go away, right? But, but what we need to do is say, huh, this kind of feels painful. This feels awkward. What am I going to do? Right? And, and it's coming to that place of, of no, no matter how much it hurts, will I do the right thing? You know, can I, or can I just be spurred along in life just avoiding whatever is the most uncomfortable things? How do, I mean, how do I pick my direction? And so I talked about how when I first got saved, I started emptying out those rooms and taking things out. A little couple years later, I started actively taking thoughts captive. And I started like, oh, this fear comes up. Like, what is that fear? What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of losing? What am I afraid of having happen? Well, so what if that happens? You know, I'm worshiping Jesus. And I started to face those fears one at a time. What if I'm not qualified to do what I'm doing and my boss gets upset with me and I get fired? Well, either he's wrong and I get wrongfully fired or he's right and I shouldn't have this job. Well, all I can do is do the best I can right now, but I'm going to dismiss myself from worrying about it. And I started to take thoughts captive one at a time, and the anxiety in my life started to go uh, smaller and smaller. Four uh, things that we can do to break out of being frozen when we're stuck. Um, and it's these, they all start with the word, the letter A, so it'll be easy to remember. It's afraid, average, awkward, and authentic. If you're afraid, then do it afraid. And if you think, I don't know if I can do this good enough, then just do it average. And if you think, if I might do this, it'll be awkward, then do it awkward. And, but do it authentic. So I, I get this invitation to the birthday party, and I feel stuck, and I feel frozen, and I'm, it's like, oh, what happened when I was five years old is coming back. I'm afraid, but I know it's the right thing to do. Like, I'm going to do it afraid. I'm going to actually go to the party feeling afraid and say, you know what? I can do things feeling afraid because one of the lies is that if, you, if you're afraid, you have no business being here and you have to make all your fear go away. And that's what, that's what real Christians do. They never have fear, right? Because they have Jesus. So if you have fear, just go home. And so you're fighting this battle to try to master your emotions. It's like, no, just say, hey, I'm going to do the right thing, even if I feel afraid the whole time. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to this birthday party. I'm going to say the wrong thing again. It's going to be embarrassing, and it's going to be so awkward, but it's the right thing to do. Then just go and be awkward. I mean, don't be awkward on purpose, but just <laughs> be willing to be awkward, okay? Be willing to be average. I'm, I'm at the birthday party. Everyone seems to know everything about politics, and they all have such smart things to say. I think I'll just sit back and say nothing. Well, 
but I, but I know I need to join in the conversation. I don't think I can articulate myself that well. Well, just say something average then, but join in, build relationship, right? Be authentic. Um, I had this moment in the car with my son the other day and he's 17 now and two, uh, we have two sons. The one who's 19 will talk all day long. The one who's 17 is very quiet. And so the quiet one can be a little bit harder to get down b beneath the surface. And we're in the car, just the two of us. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, we should probably talk about something like more heartfelt than like just the hobbies that we talk about all the time. I, I don't, sometimes I don't know how to do that with him. Like this is new for me. You know, I've not been a parent of this 17 year old at this point in life. I've never been here before. So how do I do this? And I thought, well, I keep feeling this pressure to say some amazing parenting thing that would be worthy of writing down in a book. And I don't know how to come up with it. I can't even make that happen. So I was like, well, just say some really average parenting thing instead, because otherwise you'll do nothing. And average is better than nothing. So just do some really average parenting and have a really average conversation with your son. And so I did, and it turned into something amazing because he opened up about some things that he's never opened up about before. And I, and I was just blown away as we were driving in the car. I'm thinking, I so easily could have missed this, trying to live up to an expe expectation of perfection. And it's like, but you know, average, a lot of times average gets the job done. You know, I've bought a lot of average presents for people and they've been happy with it. I got a lot, of, a lot of average grades when I was in school and I still graduated. You know, I did a lot of average things. Aver average is better than zero. Zero is what really drags you down. So sometimes just be average. Edith Egger, who is... Um, She's a Holocaust survivor. She's still alive. She was uh, doing therapy with these quadriplegic Vietnam veterans, and she realized she couldn't help them anymore unless she had more victory in her own life. And so she ended up going back to Auschwitz to face her past, and it was incredibly painful. Um, that was where her parents died, I mean, you just can imagine what it was like. But she had to go back into that place of pain and not let it spur her on anymore. She had to do what she knew was the right thing to do. And when she did, it broke her out of this prison. She didn't realize she'd gotten out of the concentration camp, you know, decades and decades earlier, but there was one inside her head. And it was like she had to go back there to see it brought uh, to an end. Like Moses, yeah. But God wants us. And what I've found is that I've gotten really good or at least much better at relaxing in the pain. Oh, I'm in pain now. Like, yep. Sometimes I think my whole life is pain. Like that didn't work out. That didn't work out. I can sit here. I can drink that. Maybe that's my fault that that happened too. Well, maybe I failed. 
okay, let's stop dodging it. Let's stop making excuses. Let's, let's just taste it. And then in that place, I find, okay, but now I can listen to God. And I can hear what he says, and I can follow him. Whether it hurts or not, doesn't matter. I can listen to him, and I can let him guide me because he wants to transform us. He wants to bring us into something new. And what we see now when we look at our lives is not who we're going to become. But what is sown now grows up into something much greater. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures. But it talks about, um, in the Bible it says, So it will be that the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a body natural, a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so we just need to remind ourselves that what we see when we look at ourselves now is nothing like what we're destined to become. Yep, our brain, every single thing, our emotions, our physical body, our whole being is in a process of transformation that we won't see the completion of until we are resurrected at that last day to meet him. But he's doing it now. He's transforming us now. He's setting us free now. And just as, um, just as Jesus was raised from the dead we're going to be raised up and we're going to be made in his likeness. Um, whatever he looks like, whatever that means, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And so I just want to encourage us today to lift up our eyes, to look at him, to allow him to bring that transformation. He wants to bring freedom he wants to, some of us, I'm telling you, some of the things that I got set free from, especially 20 years ago, there were patterns in my life of fear that were so crippling that I could not imagine what it would be like to be without that fear. I could not imagine what it would be like to be free. And, um, and one of them actually had to do with, um, the fear of rejection and every time I started to become interested in a girl it was within a week it was like this is not going to work out like I think I'm pretty much unmarriable like this is I'm I can only sabotage whatever that's all I can't even stop myself from doing it right I could not imagine how to be free and yet God walked me through that process and the first thing that he had to do is he spoke to me so clearly and he was acclimating me to that pain. It's like, and I, now I see it. I've got kids. It's like they're sick and they need medicine and they are flipping out. Like they don't want the medicine. They'll do anything they can. They're wiggling. They're all over the place. They're distracting. They're running away. They're like, you know, I'm hungry. I'm not like, you know, but I just know if you just take this medicine, It'll be over and you'll be fine. And the father is saying, just stop for a minute. Stop panicking. Stop freaking out because of the pain. 
and just sit with me and trust me. And he started to ministry to me in that place and completely set me free in ways that I never could have imagined. Um, so, but let's stand up and let's pray. How many of us need greater freedom, greater transformation? How many of us feel like, I just feel like I've been a little bit stuck and stuck happens again and again. It's like the first time I got unstuck, I thought, this is amazing. I'll never have to feel that way again. And, um, <laughs> but stuck happens. So I just especially want to start out. We're going to pray, but I want to start out praying for those that feel stuck. So Father, have mercy. God, have mercy. You see our hearts. You see the things that trip us up. You see the fears. You see the thought patterns, the things that we have such a hard time letting go of the fears that have become a snare that we're literally stuck in. And would you come and bring grace today? God, would you give us grace to let go? Lord, would you help us to let go of some of these thoughts and fears? And if you know that you have a thought pattern or a fear that you keep playing over and over in your head, and you, you already know this is something I need to drop. I just need to let go of that. Just no one's looking, but just put a hand up right now. Like, I just I already know what it is. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to offer that thing to Jesus right now. So we can all speak this out together, and, um, and if you don't have something, it'll just, it'll just help someone that does have something, okay? So... Jesus, I come to you today, and I'm offering you my thoughts. I'm offering you these patterns. I'm offering you these fears. Wow. Jesus, would you take this away from me? I choose to lay this down today. I put it at your feet. I don't want to pick it up again. I'm willing to take a risk of faith to find out what happens if I don't pick up this thought again, if I don't pick up this fear again. I'm willing to find out what happens. And I'm trusting that you will look after me. That you will keep me safe. Amen. So we're going to keep praying. We'll stay in this spot for a minute. I just want to encourage you, if you took that step, take this next week, and as much as that thought or that fear or that cycle comes back to the best of your ability, Nope, I'm going to stop that and lay it down. And if it has to be once every 20 seconds, then let it be once every 20 seconds. If by, by the time you've finished laying it down and giving it to Jesus, it's already popped up again, then you just start over again. Like, like actually take thoughts captive. Actually do the work of taking the thought captive 
And if you do that, even for a week, I mean, some of us, we might need to do this for months, but I'm just challenging you for a week, put it down and put your trust in Jesus and just see what will happen. But let's keep, let's continue to pray for a little bit. I just want to pray over all of you here, a grace uh, for the release of God's thoughts, which are higher than your thoughts and his ways, which are higher than your ways. I just pray right now a release of grace over you that his thoughts would come in as the many grains of sand on the seashore and displace in you the stories you've been telling yourself about your limitations about your um, self-esteem the fears about how other people see you about how they think about you I want to pray that the Lord would refresh and restore your minds and renew your minds and that greater transformation would come into your life through his counsel flooding your mind. I pray now for a flood of the counsel of the Lord to just come into your being, into your mind. Thank you, Father. And I bless your prefrontal cortex. read this piece of research it says that people who and this is neuroscience people who are spiritual have a thicker prefrontal cortex than people who are not spiritual that means god strengthens your good thinking (laughs) so i bless your prefrontal cortex to be strong i bless you to have the mind of christ to keep your mind integrated at all times and i bless you to have the counsel of God and and the guidance of the Good Shepherd at the forefront of your mind, especially through this season of the holidays that can be emotional for all kinds of reasons. May the Shepherd walk you through this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I don't, don't know how you guys normally wrap up service, but we'd love to just actually before we dismiss everyone just pray and prophesy over you two and then afterwards if people need to go we'll stick around and pray prophesy over whoever wants uh just individually as well is that fine why don't you guys come up to the front then and um (laughs) well they're used to it so (laughs) well father god we just thank you for mark and Jane, and I just thank you for the amazing work that you're doing through these two. And um, I did actually ask the Lord uh, in advance, what is, what is he saying over you guys and what is he saying over this church? And I saw like a stick go into the sand, like it was at the beach. And, um, and it kind of became like not just a stick, but it became something big with this banner and it looked more like a a mast from a sailing ship with a giant sail on it but it was this banner of joy it was this banner of joy and I just see uh, you guys releasing a banner of joy in this region releasing a banner of joy in this region and and I saw you start to go to work to build something and uh, and but you had uh, the tools of children (laughs) you were building with shovels and buckets um, on the beach and of course 
we all know the parable about not building on the sand, but that's not what this is about. It was more about the childlikeness. And I saw you guys uh, moving and building and working with these tools and others joining you. And I, and I see you actually digging a channel um, where the water flows. And it's like you're helping um, dig a, a river that will flow. You're helping move things out of the way that will cause this river to flow. And it starts with this banner of joy. And I just see it um, going up the coast and up through the city and, uh, and into different areas. And I just see um, an increase of joy, an increase of joy as you guys labor. Um, and I just see you releasing that. Thank you, Jesus. church has been at but um i saw this picture if you know the way they take fish off the ocean and they flash freeze it you know and i just saw this like um blast of really cold air come into the church but this was not um this is something that so this is what i saw i saw the enemy trying to bring like a flash freeze and it's something that's in the past not now something that has happened but it was an attempt to freeze something, to actually to, to destroy something. And the Lord said, it has not worked. It has not worked. Like you guys have made it through the seasons of warfare. And actually, here's the sneak attack is that God's actually used it to preserve some deep, deep things. Like when you freeze something, you keep it fresh. So what the enemy meant for destruction, God is going to use to actually um, strengthen so Father, um, Lord, you, Lord, I'm speaking to things I have no natural knowledge of, but Lord, you see all things. And I want to pray, Father, for an, a second spring season for this church, a spring of um, flowers appearing and um, rise up lovely, beautiful one. The winters are past, the rains are gone. Lord, that that season of singing would uh, burst into the church in a greater way. Father, I bless this church to prosper and to arise and to those those things that are preserved. And it's those deep, deep values of, um, you know, the, the things we've come from, you know, the love of the Father, hearing his voice, all of that, healing of the heart, giving it all away. It's, it's fully preserved and intact. <laughs> nothing can kill it, actually. Nothing can kill that. And uh, Father, I want to pray for a day of great favor over this house and a day of, um, of help coming, Father, that you would bring in um, help from the north, the, the east, the south, and the west. And, um, you know, I just, when we were praying in the car on the way here, the, the thing I got was just the, the, the pleasure of God over this church. Like, he's happy with you, Mark and Jane. He's pleased with your steadfastness. And I want to pray that the evidence of God's pleasure would be seen um, as the rewards of heaven's help begin to come around you guys. And uh, you have seen the Sanballats and the Tobiases come around and you've done the work of Nehemiah means you just keep going no matter what. But I'm asking for the Lord to release around you now the, um, you know, those who would be more like Joab and, and the ones that will help you, help you, help you build. 
in the days to come and you, you know that you have them here but more than that more than that um you know and so father i'm praying that you would bring that around and you would refresh this house and refresh mark and jane and, and bless them abundantly father we declare over them lord that that grace of apostolic blessing uh, and we stand in, in our authority in the body of Christ and we command over this house of blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. So I don't know if there's anything else we need to do to dismiss. Okay. I will say... do have some books for sale. These are actually a children's book that Stephanie wrote that just got published, uh, well, just got printed this past week. We just got them in the mail. And so if you want to look at those and consider them, yeah. How much are they? $15. So they are... It'd be amazing how expensive these things are to print. It's a story that I actually wrote for my son, um, my second son, when our fourth child was born, and I could tell he felt displaced. And so I made it up for him, but it came out of a revelation that God gave me that I had a place in his heart that no one could steal from me. And so um, I just finally wrote the thing down. We had got an illustrator, but it really in in the in the terms of uh, the therapeutic realm it's a book that strengthens attachment between children and their parents especially as families grow and change so if anybody of you want to give a book as a gift to a parent that would be a great book especially if their kids are little and i just want to speak a blessing over each one of you because this has been a gift to us and um this morning and um, we're in this together and we want to encourage each other um, just as we walk in this and to do it well to do it even if it's average we want to do it we want to step so I want to speak courage over each of us in this place courage and know that you are loved know that you are valued and we we love you and we honor you and we we want to see you do well so bless you in Jesus name So we will be dismissed and you're welcome to come for prayer before you go. See you next week if you're going. We love you.